How's everybody doing? Good? Um, weird noise. Um, I've got a... I've got a lot to talk about it, but before I even get to that, um, this kind of ties into it too. How many of you guys get distracted a lot? You do have seven children, <laughs> right? Yeah, I got distracted before I had kids. Now it's even even that much worse. So what? Um, I just want to. Somebody's calling me. I'm at church. I'm distracted. Literally, like, look at this. Those are all notifications from this morning from the time I left my office to here. It's ridiculous. I'm really, I'm not popular. It's, it's, I need to just adjust my phone to not give me all those notifications. Um, but I will say, I, these last couple weeks specifically for me and our family, we've, we've kind of, me personally anyway, and by default my family, have really started to look at a lot of the things that we do and, and some of the distractions that we have. And, uh, and man, I don't want to paint the phone as though it's a bad thing, but man, it can be super distracting. And I find myself and my kids um, so distracted that it's like we can't even do anything without every five seconds, like having the phone buzz or go off. And, and, and like I said, it's not just them; it's me too. I get it. It's just like bzz, bzz, something, something here, something there. And man, it's so difficult. I think. Um, and I'm just we're just we're just kind of talking. This doesn't necessarily tie into this. It's so difficult for me sometimes to really hear from the Lord because I'm always thrown off. There's no, there's no deep quality time, right? And I think that spills over into our lives and relationships that we have because we're so, we can be so surfacey on our phones and we can be so distant in, in areas. And it's something it was, it's been my concern since the beginning of this pandemic to now. And I always have to preface this to say that I completely understand people being safe and social distancing for that. I think it's, I think it's smart in some ways. Um, but long term, I think it's very dangerous. And the reason why my heart breaks for this is because we are social beings. We're made to be around each other. And when we begin to make this a normal thing that we're separate, I think that I, I don't. I genuinely believe that this is the Holy Spirit. Like that's very that's very dangerous. It was the very opposite of what Jesus did. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into exactly what that looks like. But just know that's how we punish prisoners. <laughs> Like, we isolate them. It's how people fall so quickly into depression and, and have anxiety and, and will begin to overthink things when they're alone and they don't have people around them. So I just, I need to, I just want to put that out there before we even get into this because I think that's been something that's, I didn't really know where to put it, but I think part of it has been a lot of the distractions I, that it's very difficult sometimes to really listen and hear from the Lord when you're constantly being distracted. It just vibrated again. Like, that's that was Buddy. <laughs> Get up. I'm going to punch you in the throat. All right. <laughs> help me help you. All right, hang on. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> you can say it. Just say it. I'm right here. <laughs> Don't, buddy ain't shy. He's probably, te- don't text. What are you doing? You texting again? Stop texting. I'm right here. Let us have a relationship. Be my friend. He texted me again. Let's see what buddy said. Okay, I will next time. 
So listen, put on airplane mode. Yes, put on airplane mode. So I think that and, and also um, our ability to be, I don't know what you call them now, but in the, back in the day it was like keyboard warriors where you can, you can say things that you would normally say to somebody's face. It's much easier to just type it out and like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bold here, but if you were face to face, you could see how much that would affect another person, positively or negatively, and I'll leave that at that. I think that we, like I said, this is a tool just like anything else. I'm not against phones. Technology is amazing. But we need to be careful how we use these and how dangerous they can be as distractions. So I'll stop with that. Um, what I do want to talk about specifically is identity and, well, more appropriately, I guess, love um, from the Father to us. Uh, something, something that I feel in really heavy on my heart, especially as a father, is the father's love and what that looks like and how important that is in a child's life. And here, another thing I need to preface this with, is if there's single parents out there, I know there are. This is not a dig, this is not a chew. I, more than anything, it's uh, an understanding of how difficult it is to, be, to play two parts. So when I say some of these things, don't take this as though, oh great, I'm a single parent, this is hopeless. Not at all, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying how paramount it is that fathers are in their kid's life, and this transfers over and from our Heavenly Father, okay? So as I speak through this, don't storm out or come up here and tackle me just yet. Let me get to the, <laughs> let me get to the end. So, but, but as single parents or as mixed families and things that we, we deal with, this applies all the way through. This, um, this is not some exclusive thing, so hear me when I say that. But I do, know, I do have some, a few statistics I want to tell you here because this is something that, you know, my friend uh, Dana who's over the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, that we've, we've been friends for years, and, and he, he gives me a lot of this information. We have conversations. He sees things that you guys and I don't see, um, and he experiences things, and his, his whole, he's got to always mess with him. He's got his master's in divinity, and I'm always like, well, what else is there? You've mastered the divine. You're done. Um, but he's gone to college, and now he's got his doctorate. So now he's, he was, in my phone, he was Dana Watson, master of the divine. Now he's Dr. Dana Watson, master of the divine in my phone. So he has spent pretty much his whole life and his whole career studying um, and understanding uh, the intricacies of relationships and families and how important it is. And he seeks to help kids that don't have that in their home. Most of these kids that end up at the children's home have, have been abused, have been neglected in lots of different ways. I mean, it's got to be pretty serious for them to end up there. This isn't just like something, some light stuff. This is serious stuff. It's one of the reasons we connected with them some years ago, and we're trying to, COVID's kind of messed that up a little bit. But we're trying to get back in there to, to continue to, to, to minister with them. All that to say... Dana, uh, Dana grew up in a rough, me and Dana have similar backgrounds. He grew up in a, he ended up in the, in the children's home. Um, he was, you know, he, he kind of grew up in a fatherless home and, and dealt with some, some things with his mother. He ended up in there because of the struggles that he was dealing with. And now he's turned it around and he's making a difference in other people's lives. So it's, once again, not to say that it's not possible that this can change, but statistically, and these are some of the statistics that him and I have talked about in the past. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. It's 32 times the average. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists and anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. 75% of adolescent uh, patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. That's 10 times the average. And I've got three or four more, but you get the picture. Essentially what they're saying is it's so important that we have a father figure in our lives. Now, once again, not to say that this can't be um, radically transformed by our, our Heavenly Father, because it, it can and it did for me, but I also don't want to tiptoe around the fact that that took years for me to really fathom. 
I was told, you know, at a young age when my dad walked out on us, um, and, it, and it crushed me. And people would tell me, well, now you're the man of the household. And I was just a little guy, um, and not quite as chubby as I am now. I was real little. And I was, I was picked on and, and got in fights, and I was bullied, and I wasn't very strong. And my only real male role models, honestly, which is odd, but it was like gangster rappers. <laughs> and so I would try to be hard or tough. And so I would eventually learn to fight and learn to, um, from my environment, I began to learn how to be tough. Which was, which was all just a wall of what was really going on inside. And so I would walk around and, and, and kind of mean mug people and try to, be, try to be the tough guy. Because if I didn't, people would take advantage of me. And I mean, ultimately, um, that's what, that, that was the reality that I faced. But all that, all that to say, it was a much, much more difficult role because I didn't have a father. And it's not just that my father wasn't present, but it was also that I didn't have a father to speak identity to me. So as many of you guys know and you've heard my testimony, I struggled with identity for years trying to figure out who I am, where I fit in, why I don't belong. Um, and I would, I would try to fit in in different groups, and because of, of the, the demographic, I was, I, I was the minority in my school. You know, and I was picked on you know, partially because of, the, because of my skin color, but also because we were really poor. You know, we really didn't have anything nice, and so we would get picked on because of what we wore. And so throughout, throughout school and growing up, trying to figure out what this, this father figure is, anytime I heard of, of God, um, whether it was in church or by someone else, and they would talk about God, even mention his father, I had no frame of reference, right? Like, I didn't know what that meant when they would say, oh, well, God the Father. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know, you know, if anything, it had negative connotations attached to it from my perspective. And so I say all that to say that, that you know, when, when as much as I wanted to believe, even back then, that God was father or that there was some father figure that could help me, I, deep down I didn't. I'm just, just being real. I thought... No one, is out, no one is out for my best interest. Everyone is out to get me. That was my pers- perspective on life. The, and, and honestly, it was perpetuated by every family member that I had because they, most of my family members lived from that place of lack that said, everyone is out to get you. You better take care of yourself or they're going to get you. And what we experienced was about that. People would take advantage of us, and they were out to get us. And most of the, most of the people, especially adults in my, young, uh, in my childhood, you know, were were lost and abusive and in different situations were not anything that I would look up to as far as a father figure, right? Um, there were several also, and I don't want to speak all negatively because there were several. There was a, a, a family man that, that felt bad for me and bought me a bike one, one time because I didn't have a bike and took me hunting, which I didn't care anything about hunting, but we went hunting. <laughs> and I was just shuffling around and shooting the bark off trees because I didn't, I didn't care about hunting. But he was trying to be there and fishing, same thing. And I'm not, I'm, especially back then, I wasn't really an outdoorsman, but he was trying to, to demonstrate to me kind of what a father would do to spend time with their kids. And it was a good thing that he was doing, but it was still very lost on me. In the back of my head, I thought, he's got an ulterior motive. And the whole time, I was watching him like, this guy's not good. He was. I, th- I genuinely think he was a very good man. But I'd already had this picture painted, and I want to use that reference. I had this picture painted in my head of what life was like and what a father figure would be and what the whole nine yards, like I, I, I felt like I already had it figured out at a young age. Now, I don't know if you know this, um, but pictures and videos can be very deceiving. One of the things I like to do, I like to go off-roading and stuff, and every time I shoot a video or take a picture of somebody of us doing something really crazy and you look back at it, it's like it doesn't look like we're even doing anything. It looks like we're going, just driving down a dirt road. Like, it doesn't even look extreme, you know? And I'm like, if you were there, you could see. Like, you couldn't see anything but the hood. The same reason I don't like posed pictures is I like action pictures. I like to try to feel something that's there. But the problem is pictures lack 
life. You can't really get a good understanding, and I think that's what I lacked was something present that I could tie this father figure to. All right. And this table's got me thrown off. Distraction, right? Um, All that to say, the, the, the picture that was painted for me was a skewed picture that was not a picture of a good God. That's why we sing all these songs about God being good. 1 Corinthians uh, 4.14 says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as, dear, as, as my dear children. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. <clears throat> Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, I love this picture that Paul is, once again, the picture that Paul is painting as a father figure. He's not just uh, some pastor that is just barking orders at people. He's saying, no, I care for you guys. I care for you like a father does, like a father cares for his children. Uh, one of the most recent examples that I have, and if you haven't watched The Mandalorian, this is on you. There may be a little bit of a spoiler alert here, but it's not going to ruin, sh- ruin the show for you. Um, but, and I'll give you a rundown. How many have not watched The Mandalorian in here at all? Okay. So, buddy, come on. <laughs> and so uh, don't text me anything. All right. So... Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a brief rundown, and I don't think any of this really ruins the show. It's still a really good show. Um, but this, this Mandalorian is, is like a bounty hunter, and he's, he's part of a, a very strict, basically a strict religious sect, sect that says you can't remove your helmet. This is the way you can't remove your helmet. Nobody sees your face. And so throughout the whole show, that, that, that there's emphasis placed on the fact that he doesn't show his face, and it's kind of intriguing, and it, it's a really neat dialogue. It goes through the whole thing, and through a few seasons, and towards the end of the, the last season that they just played, well, let me back up a little bit. In the, in the process of him being a bounty hunter, he finds this child, and it's, it looks like a little baby Yoda you've probably seen or whatever, but his name is actually Grogu. He's not Yoda. And so <laughs> a few details. And so he, ta- he kind of takes him as his own. He feels bad, and he takes him as his own. He basically adopts this child, and he wants to bring him somewhere where he, you know, to, to his people and to his kind so that he can help him. So basically the whole show is that. It's him trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. Um, and in the process, the Mandalorian is trying to figure out who he is. And so you're, you're following this whole thing, and he's trying to figure all this stuff out, and he's adopted this baby. Um, and, and there's great parallels if you actually look for him. And towards the end, there's a scene where he's has to, part of what he has to do is go in into this area, and he's got to take his helmet off. And he has to do this in order for some other things. Like I said, you'll have to watch the show to get all the details to save the baby. So the, the Grogu is in trouble, and he has to go through these steps to save him, but part of his religion is he can't take his helmet off. And he's going to have to take his helmet off to get to this point. All that to say, he takes his helmet off, and he walks in there, and he takes care of what he needs to take care of because of the love that he has for this child. In other words, he has taken on this father figure to this child, and no matter what belief system he's, he's been caught up in separate from the love that he has for this child, he's put aside to care for the child. This, to me, speaks volumes to what a father would do for his kids. This, to me, paints a beautiful picture of our father who would put on skin and come to earth and sacrifice ultimately his, his one and only son for us. That he would, he would wash away centuries of religion and uh, step outside of even his, his chosen people to reach us. And I say us because we're Gentiles. That he would go out of his way to adopt us and bring us into his family. Not only do that, but essentially just wipe away a complete covenant with a, with a group of people for, for a very long time. 
And I know it's just, it's just a show, and he's just taking his helmet off, but I saw that in that moment. I thought, wow, how real is that when we say we've got all these things that we say? Well, I'll, I always said, you know, I'll never have. I was big into cars, so I was, like, really meticulous about cleaning. I was like, I'll never have a messy car when I have kids. <laughs> you laughing, you know. Or I'll never, anything, anything you put behind that, I'll never do this. I'll never do this. I'll never do this. And I want to I put in there, but, we'll, but watch, but, but love. Watch what love will do. Love, what, love will adjust what your priority is. And I think it's, it's very important even when, when the, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus about, you know, picking wheat so he could give it to his, his disciples because they were hungry. They were all like, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And he was like, you don't understand. This is, this is bigger than this. this. I care for these people. You can't heal this person because this is what the law says. And he's like, look, the, the law of love is greater than this law that you're hanging on to. There's, there's, a covenant, there's a covenant that I carry now that is about to complete the old one and bring a new one in. And you're going to have to get a grip on this because there's not going to be anything to go back to. The love that I see even in, in, in movies and different things like that, and like I was saying, the, the love that I saw in The Mandalorian when he, when he took his helmet off, you could see he was struggling with that decision because everything he had believed up to that point was, I can't do this. I can't do this, but I love this kid, and I need, I'm, I'm the only one that can do this because I'm in the position that I have to do this. And I, I love that picture that's painted if you, if you care enough to look for it. And this is what I love about God speaking to us. He's not always audible <laughs> and saying, hey, do this. But he'll speak to you even subtly through movies and TV shows and friends and family and situations and scenarios. If you, if you are open enough to look and if you can sometimes not be distracted too much, you can see God, you can see Christ in the middle of all these things. Last buddy, last buddy. <laughs> last week, buddy mentioned the narrow way. Um, I listened to his, we listened to about three quarters of it. We had a break in between volleyball and we listened to some of it. I went back and listened again um, and it was a really good message. And one of the things that really, I, one of the things I love about listening to other people preach and speak is they, they have a direction they're going and they'll, they'll talk about all these different things in the direction they're going. And I always catch the little things like, oh man, I wish you'd spent more time on that. The whole thing is really good and I love the direction it's going, but there's, there's always little nuggets in there that I'm like, and, and. I don't want to speak for Buddy, too, but I'm sure if he had three hours, he would chase all those as well. Um, but the, the one thing that he spoke about that really struck me, too, was the narrow way, and uh, which kind of goes along with the Mandalorian. This is the way. But anyway, but the narrow way, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to leap, make too many leaps there. Um, but we're not, the, the narrow way for, for years to me was taught as though you're limited, and y'all could, y'all, I'd like to know y'all's, y'all's the way that y'all were taught. Mine was, you're basically limited on what you can do if you follow Jesus. That's the way it was described to me. Like, broad is the way because you can do all these other things, but narrow is the way, so you're limited. You can't really have fun or you can't really do anything. You know, you're, you're so limited. That's the way it was taught to me, but that's not at all what the, what the Scripture's saying. What he's saying is, Jesus is the way, narrow. There's one way. There's no other way. Do it. There's just one way. He's not saying that. <laughs> that way is not awesome. <laughs> it's not saying that that way is, it's actually the opposite. He's saying, no, this is an abundant life this way. That this is joy, peace, righteousness, holiness. This is the way. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to do that, but it's working out. So he's saying that, that, that <laughs> this, uh, he's saying that this is the only way, that any other way comes to kill, steal, and destroy, essentially. Any other way but Jesus. I mean, it's, it is the exclusivity of Christ. But that's not to say that it's limited by, it's not limited at all. It's actually the opposite. When you, when you do find that way, it's much more abundant than any other way. 
Why? Because all those other ways do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Every other way that we try to find it, whether it's through self-righteousness or through a, a, a wild bout of sin where we tr- go try to live it up and fulfill ourselves, either one of those things will kill, steal, and destroy. Narrow is the way because it's just through Christ. He is the only way. And it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a solid thing because it's not like just a crapshoot or just like we're gambling on this. He, he solidifies who he is in us. He says, I am, and because I am, you are. As he is, so what? So are we in this world. When, when, we, talk about, when we talk about Christ, we're not talking about a distant figure, like way far away, even though he is seated at the right hand of God, he is also placed in every one of our hearts and in each one of the believers. Jesus shows us multiple times how this works in Scripture. Jesus had the authority of the Father uh, to say and do things recorded of him in the Gospels and that what he did was the work of God the Father. A good example of this is in Mark's Gospel when Jesus demonstrated to a skeptical audience that he had the power to forgive sins, a prerogative that belonged to God alone. This is in Mark 2, 6 through 12. His critics were therefore right to say that in calling himself the Son, Jesus was making himself equal to God because Father and Son share the same nature. What distinguishes the Son from the Father is not the quality of His being, which is just as divine as the Father's, but the functioning of their relationship according to which the Son had come into the world to do the Father's will. In other words, Jesus had come to do the Father's will. So when Jesus begins acting on this and speaking out, saying, I can, I can forgive sins, I only do what the Father tells me to do, when He starts making statements like this, um, those were pretty radical statements. They still are very radical statements. But because we're Christians, I was telling the youth about this, that basically Christian means little Christ. We're like little Christs. Um, as Christians, this is the prototype that we are to live after. In other words, we, we walk and talk out the will of God to people around us. We are walking, I always say we're walking, talking temples. We don't have to go to, this building is not a temple anymore. This is not an altar. That's why we don't say come to the altar. We don't, we don't, this is not the church. You are the church, right? Everywhere you go, you bring the church. Well, you take it, I guess. Anyway, everywhere you go, you take the church. You, the, the Holy Spirit goes with you. And, you know, you're not checking them at the door when you leave here. So I think it's important that we see that the very nature of God when we were born again is given to us. That's a huge thing. We, we, get, to, we get to carry in these, in these clay jars and these Dixie cups of a body, we get to carry the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And we get to share that good news with other people that they can experience that as well. And it's because of the confidence that the Father gives us in our identity that we can do that boldly. We spoke a couple weeks ago about contentment, that uh, godly contentment is better than just trying to, trying to gain something by being godly. And when we say that, we say this contentment that God gives us gives us boldness. Why? Because he's already done the work. It's the finished work of Christ. So when we walk and talk and we live this out, we're not doing it so that we gain something from God. We already have it. So we're doing it from the source. We're doing it from God to other people. So I, <clears throat> I love that when we, when, we, when we get this picture of, of Abba, and, and the word Abba in the scriptures, um, I just studied this way too extensively, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but essentially Abba was a, was a bit of a new word, and it was translated from one language to another, and the only way they could translate it was to put Father behind it. So it says, in scripture you'll see it say Abba, Father. But really Abba was a different word than Father. They could have used another word for Father. Abba was an intimate term, something 
equivalent to like dad or daddy or something, uh, something uh, almost like my father. It would be more intimate, similar to when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The word know meaning an intimate term of knowing, but also that we do know him. Uh, Abba is the same way when we call Father Abba. We're not saying he is a father. He is saying, we are saying, you're my father. It's a personal thing. Do y'all get that? So when we say, when we talk about Abba, we're saying dad or daddy. Kind of a quick parallel to that with me, when I first got to know my dad as a teenager, I was in, I'd failed the sixth grade. You guys, most of you know the story. Counselors are saying, he's a troubled kid. He doesn't have a dad in his life, whatever. You need to find his dad. So mom found my dad, sent me to hang out with him for like a month or two for a summer. And I didn't know the guy. I didn't know him. When he left, I was little. Um, all of my experiences were either he was either drunk or high or abusive or there was violence. There was always bad things attached to that. Um, at the time that I went to visit him, he had sobered up um, and he was trying to do well. He was a, he had a, uh, he was a big horse trainer guy and so he, had a, he was working at a place training horses. And um, i never forget this conversation I had with him. We're sitting in this barn and, and uh, I'd, <laughs> he had bought me a horse and I didn't want horses. I don't like horses. And I was, and I was a little you know, I was a, kind of a punk kid, and I was angry about everything anyway. And I was like, I don't want a stupid horse. I wanted a four-wheeler. So he's like, well, if you want a four-wheeler, I'm going to sell a horse. I was like, sell that thing. I don't care. <laughs> I want a four-wheeler. And so he did. He sold it, and he bought a four-wheeler, but it was broken. And we started working on a carburetor together, which is something I would have desired as a kid to be around my father, but I still resented him. All that to say, we had this conversation, and we're cleaning this carburetor, which was a great father-son moment, even though I didn't see it at the time. He asked me, because I'd been there a few weeks, obviously long enough to sell a horse and buy a four-wheeler. Um, we'd been there a few weeks, and I, I either, anytime I would want to, like, call him or say, hey, you, or I would say something like that, hey, you know, or occasionally I would call him by his name, which was Wayne. I'd say, Wayne, da-da-da-da. And it was odd because I, I, I couldn't bring myself to call him dad, right? And he asked me, he was like, why, you know, and you could see it bothered him. He said, why don't you call me dad? And I said, I, and I, you know, I broke down. We both started crying. I said, man, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you as dad. And that's what he's talking about here. There's, an, there's a knowing. It's not just a position because he was my dad physically. Like, there's no doubt he was my phys- physical earthly father. But to call him dad, I, c- I couldn't do it because I didn't know him. Does that make sense? In the same way, I think a lot of us can come in church and say, oh, father, oh, Abba, whatever, but not and miss that, intimate, miss that intimacy. We've got to see that it's personal. He's your father. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said what? Our Father, meaning our, he's our Father. And that is the same thing that's very radical to talk about God as Father, not just as, you know, King, although he is, but to call him as Father, having that intimate term in us as sons and daughters. Uh, Galatians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that's where they place those two words essentially saying, crying Abba or crying Daddy, crying my Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now he says a distinction there between slave and son because slaves were not allowed to address the head of the household as father back then. You couldn't say that. Only sons could call their father Dad or Abba. So what he's saying is, even as he's transitioning over into this new covenant, he is going to be adopting all of us, you and me as Gentiles, He's going to be saying, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to graft you in. I'm going to bring you into my fold. I'm going to bring you into my family. And you're going to be called sons and daughters, no longer orphans, no longer sticking food in your pocket because you don't know who's going to provide for you or looking in from the outside of the window and beating on the door. 
Listen, it took, it took me years, years to really have sealed in my spirit God as my father. Many of you know this story. It was Mark, my pastor here, Mark, preached on sonship for probably a year and a half. And everything he was saying was good. And intellectually, I got it. I was like, man, that's good. Somebody needs to hear that, <laughs> you know. And then one morning during worship, I was just worshiping, and it, and it dawned on me that, that he's my father, he's my dad, and I'm his son. And I literally said out loud, dad, <laughs> you know, daddy, which is not a big deal to say, but understanding, like really understanding that that's true is a big deal. It's a big deal because, man, it was like, I can, I can take a deep breath and I'm okay. I know something we used to talk about all the time was the three Ps, so it must mean something if they all have the same first letter. But protection, provision, and promotion. Growing up in the environment that I did, I thought that I had to take care of that on my own all the time. I got to protect myself. I'm going to provide, and I'm going to promote myself. It, it, it's pretty much the American way, too, in our culture. That will, be, that will be pushed on you pretty often if it hasn't already. But I'm telling you, there's someone else that is there for your protection, provision, and promotion, and it's God the Father. And he is looking out for you. And we are, we are a reflection of that. Just like the moon has no light of its own, but it reflects the light of the sun, and you can see it so vividly, that's what you and I are. We reflect the heart of the Father to people. We say, he is your father too. And in those situations I talked about, for I'm, this is a bit twofold. For, so for fathers that are listening, if you're listening online or in here, as a reflection of the father, we've got to be active and passionate about fathering our kids and fathering even sometimes not our kids, the kids that, that end up in our fold, <laughs> right? Amen. We've got to be, listen, God's love is not passive. It's aggressive. We've got, to, we've got to do that. In the same way, when we don't have that father figure in our lives, single mothers, mixed families, whatever it is, you, we, you have got to express the heart of the father to your kids, whether it's through a, a friend that you have or another father figure or just through scripture. Listen, this, this book right here is a 66-book it's a, it's a love letter to you. Read it. It's got lots of good stuff in it. All good. It's all good. All of it, even when it doesn't look good in the grand scheme of things, it's all good. The, the whole story is great. Um, if you don't know where to start, get the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a kid's Bible, but I learned a ton from it. It helps you understand the, the, the Christ-centeredness even of the Old Testament. It's a, seriously, like I'm not even joking about that. It was one of the most radical things that we read to our kids when they were little kids, and I learned a ton from it. I, saw, I never saw Jesus in some of those old stories until I read the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a big hardback, colorful book with pictures in it. It's got pictures, man. Get it. It's good. Use it as a parallel while you study. I swear it's good stuff. Jesus Storybook Bible. No, I, they're not paying me to say this. I don't even know who wrote it. I'm just telling you it's good. But fathers, we have to be in the game. We, last weekend we were at a volleyball tournament, and I'm not into sports really at all. You can, I mean, Tracy will scream at the TV more than I will when Alabama plays. I don't care. I'll... <laughs> I'll uh, I just, it doesn't matter. I don't mind watching a good game, but I'm just not in sports. But I love my kids, and I want to see them succeed, and I want to see them, you know, work hard and do well and that kind of thing. And so we were watching, uh, Jordan was playing a volleyball game with her team, and she played a really hard team first, right out of the gate. It was early in the morning. I was tired. I'm sure they were tired. They played very well, and they lost. They barely lost, but they played a really good team. 
Well, the way the brackets work, if you play a really good team and you lose, well, then you play a, a team that's not quite as good, right? So they played really well together, and I was proud of her. I wasn't no big deal. I wasn't upset that they lost. They were upset they lost. Um, but I told her, hey, you played good. That was great. You know, keep it up. Next game, they played a team, and this other team was not good. <laughs> they weren't. They should have beat them, but they didn't play well together. For whatever reason, I don't know what happened, but there was like somebody flicked a switch, and they, they stopped talking to each other, and, and they stopped. Like there was, there's one specific thing that drives me insane, and apparently drives the coach insane too, is when they, they all run to the ball and they stop, and the ball hits the ground. That drives me insane. I'm like, I would rather y'all collide. At least you're trying to do something. But there were several times in that game when they would all run in the middle and they'd look at each other and nobody would talk. And we were always telling them, talk. You have to communicate with each other. Mine, say mine. It's not that complicated. Or yours or whatever. And, uh, and for whatever reason, they were like silent and they missed it and it would hit the ground. And I, Tracy had to get up and walk around. Like, I don't yell. I was just like, oh, I, can't, I can't do this. And I would get up and just walk around. It's like, all right, okay, calm down. All right. And, uh, and it was because they just weren't playing well together. And I, I saw another great parallel there in life with us, especially as fathers. We... We can't just sit back and hope that things work out. We have to, we have to get in the game. Something that I've, I've been, been praying and speaking to myself, or maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to me, is that I've got to be a little more proactive in our family dynamic and making sure that, that I'm leading the way that I should be leading and I'm as involved as I need to be. It's very easy, and I'll tell you for me personally, it's very easy for me to just assume that everything's okay and be a little bit disconnected. I need sometimes for Tracy to remind me, hey, you need to you know, X, Y, and Z because this is what the girls need. Because I don't know. I don't know how you ladies think. It's a little different. Yeah, Nick. Nick don't know how ladies think either. You do? You do? You have a secret? Hang on. Somebody record this. What's the secret? The secret is I don't know. <laughs> no, um, you know, you talk a lot about the father not being around, but there's plenty of people that have their father around, but he's not engaged. Right. And that's just as important, if not worse. At least you know where you stood with your dad. You didn't have that's a true. dad. So. Yeah, there wasn't a question mark there. But some people have their dad, but he's still not there. You know yeah. what I mean? He's chasing, you know, money or trying to – and he may be, have good intentions. I want to provide and do all those things. But at the end of the day, when the dad's not involved, <clears throat> you know, in day-to-day things and, you know, the nurturing and caring and, you know, protection and all those things, even though – he feels like he's protecting because he's got a gun or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. there's a lot of that. But also, don't discount the mothers. I feel like the mothers are, are no. a picture of the Holy Spirit. For sure. They're yeah. a comforter, and that's mm-hmm. what he is. They lead us in truth. They help us to see yeah. past all those things. So I For think sure. that's important to remember. Yeah, and, and I, I know that I can, only, I can only speak of so many things on a Sunday morning, so I don't, I'm, not, I'm not negating the mother figure here. I just want, I'm just focusing on this for this reason. But something you... No, that's fine. No, I'm just, <laughs> look. You want to take this outside? No. We uh, no. But what you said, what you said, sparked something that, that really does need to be say, said. <laughs> Needs to be said. Well, two things. One, I don't. Please hear me. I'm not trying to pick on guys. We we all, I fall short. You fall short. I'm not trying to like say you need to feel bad about yourself. Just just recognize some of these things. And I think us. Communicating it, same thing. Communicating these things will help us to be a little more involved. Now, at the same time, we there is a lot of pressure put on fathers a lot of times, especially if we are the main uh, uh, person who supplies the, the money. I guess you could say whatever you want to call that provider. I guess it would be breadwinner. Yeah, so if we are the breadwinner, there's a lot of pressure, and sometimes we need to be we 
be patient with us. Ladies, be patient with us because it, sometimes it can be a little stressful to, to deal with some of that stuff. At the same time, us, and I speak to me, I'm not talking to you guys. Y'all just listen to me talking to me. <laughs> Don't beat me up after this. We cannot use our jobs as an excuse to be disengaged. And that's what you, that's what you kind of, I think you were kind of touched on that really sparked when you said it. Because that we can, and I say we by me, not just you guys, me, we can do that. We can disconnect sometimes by doing that. We can say, well, I can't do it because I'm just so busy with work, and we can, we can use it as an excuse to not be as engaged. And, you know, there, some of the conversations I've even had recently with my kids is to make sure they understand that I would give up, like I would turn this world upside down <laughs> to make sure that they know that I love them more than anything. I know whether I want to or not, my kids can feel second to church. They can feel second to my job. They can feel second to my Jeep, and they'll even say it. You love that Jeep more than you love us. Like, I don't. I'll sell that Jeep tomorrow. Like, I do enjoy doing those things, but they need to know, and sometimes they need to hear it from me. That's what Tracy, speaking of the mothers again, Tracy has to help. She has to tell me, hey, you need to say these things. You need to make sure they understand these things coming from you, not just me. And that's good. That's how, that's, that, that should be that way. Because honestly, I, and it's weird. I can't explain it. And this is something I'm just going to tell you. I can't explain it. I'm more comfortable speaking to you about some of this stuff sometimes than just speaking to my own kids. I don't know why that is. It's like I have a hard time sometimes communicating, but I come up here and just be like, woo, you know, I'm a mess and, you know, all my issues I just blurt out. But then I'll get on one-on-one with my kids. I'm like, I don't know the words to say. Why are you crying? And I don't, you know, they're emotional and they're going through stuff. And I don't know. Well, stop. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And they're like, you don't understand. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how y'all work. And so... uh, so it does, it does take, do what? <laughs> okay. That was, a, oh. yeah, <laughs> he didn't have a long, that just happened to him this morning. He's just, okay. <laughs> just, just real quick. So I literally told Renee, I'm a guy. I don't know what to do. You're going to have to deal with this. <laughs> Ruby and Hazel were arguing. And I literally, I, I was in the room. I was trying to talk to him. Renee's trying to get ready for church. And I went running back into the bedroom. And I said, I don't, guy, I don't understand what's going on. You're going to have to deal with this. So once again, be patient. We're, we're, we're trying our best, you know. I'm not trying to beat up the guys here. I'm not trying to beat up the guys here. It's just sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard for us. Uh, if only they were carburetors. Man, I felt that. I felt that. On that was good. Man, that might be the new. T- I had a title of the sermon, but that might be it now. If only they were carburetors. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, interject uh, a different viewpoint from what you're at, where okay. you're at, and my viewpoint is. Um, not from a father, but from a child. I am a child. And uh, it makes me cry every time. But when I have been troubled, I considered Ray Starling. When Kathy died, he had no Kathy. He didn't have a mom. He runs to Bill for everything. He wouldn't leave Bill for nothing. I said, that's me. Mm. When I'm troubled, I run to Father God. And I crawl up on his lap, just like Ray did Bill. And so, yes, I'm a father, but I'm a child. That's good. And it's just so comforting to sit in Father God's lap 
There isn't anything that Bill wouldn't do for his kids. Right. That's the way I am. I didn't have uh, a stellar father figure. I didn't know him. He was chasing after money, like you said. And so I don't know what a father is until I look at what I would do for my children right. or what Bill would do for his. Yeah. And so I'm the child, yeah. and I just run to him when I'm in trouble. Yeah. Well, you didn't interject. You just finished my sermon for me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, that's where I was going to go with the next point is that's how I learned in reverse of, of, of who God the Father is. And what a beautiful picture to, to even look with what we have actually seen with, with Ray and Bill. So that's it's, injection and not a carburetor. <laughs> Oh. oh, man. So, <clears throat> um, <laughs> so many things are going through my head. All right. So, this fatherly love, uh, I'm trying to skip around what he just, uh, Fred just said more eloquently than I could have. Um, but to kind, of, to kind of sum all that up and to kind of wrap that up, um, I didn't even write the scripture down that I got this from. Um, but it's in there. You can trust me. Somewhere in the Bible. Uh, y'all can Google it later, or I'll post it up if you need to look it. But it says, uh, uh, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And I'm going to stop there. He's not talking about specific circumcision. He's talking about the law, basically. What he's saying is, if you want to chase after the law, you are, going to, you are basically negating what Christ did. And there's no, this is back to the narrow gate thing. He's saying Christ will be of no value to, it, to you at all. And this is, a, a, this, the verses that I'm about to read, to me, express the, the passionate love that God has for us in Christ, that we need to see it for what it really is. Um, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. These are very strong words. You have fallen away from grace, for, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Those are very strong words here. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Look, he's not playing around here. He's saying Christ is of great value and none of your own self-righteousness or any other thing that you can try to muster up is going to do what Christ has done. The love that God has for you is so big and so powerful and so strong and so passionate and so good that if you step away from it, it's nothing but bad news. And he's saying, look, if you, if, <laughs> if you want to go that way, go all the way. In other words, if you're going to be that dumb... To, to chase after something, to chase after a type and a shadow instead of the substance is what he's saying. 
which is all every, the law could do was give us a type and shadow of who God was, and Christ was the substance. He said, if you want to chase that stuff, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely insane when you've got Christ, something of infinite more value. Being aggressive in love and, be, and, and, and like Fred was saying, it works, in, it works the same way in reverse to understand that we are, chi- we are children that as much as, as, much as, I could, as much as I could try to teach my children on how to live life in a way that would benefit them and I want to, what's going to benefit them more is knowing that I care for them, I love them regardless of what happens. That's what's going to keep them and hopefully will keep them coming and talking to me about some of these things and not running away just because I'm some slave master trying to, to make sure that they follow every single rule, and don't ever mess up. My heart is for them to, do the, to have the best life that they can possibly have, but at the same time, if they don't know my heart behind it, it doesn't really matter. Something uh, Brian and Courtney and I were talking about in there, if, if we can't, you could have the greatest revelation in the world, but if you can't present it in a way that, that a child can understand it, they don't, they don't understand it the same way that we understand it, so that's why relationship is, is paramount here. They have to know that you care enough to present it in a way. We do the same thing in youth. We talked about youth this past week, and 99% of the kids didn't know that, that, that uh, John baptized Jesus. We had a great discussion about it, and we talked about it, and we, 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 you know, we worked through some things and figuring out why he did that. And so we, we've got to, especially with young people, and I, and I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here with the father thing, we've got to, we've got to father them in the best way that we know how, and this, this spreads out throughout our whole lives. And it can't come from our own, just our own understanding. It has to come from the Father himself. Yes? Wait a minute. Hang on. One thing I've discovered with my ex-husband, the way he um, parents Allen Gracie, is he takes away his relationship, his presence, his love when he's punishing. And we heard a wise counselor say that we should parent out of the the relationship, power of our relationship, and not the power of our authority. Right. You know, it's all about un- unconditional love and, and God's presence and, and having consequences but not taking away love, and they're not experiencing that right now. That just well, breaks my heart. A, a perfect example of that would be Jesus saying, I, knowing that I have all authority on heaven and earth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down and I'm going to wash my disciples' feet. He says, I, I've got, speaking of authority, he said, I've got all the authority. And what does he do with that, with that fact? The very next verse, he says, he gets down on his hands and knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. That's, that's relational. That's a, kingdom, that's a kingdom that doesn't look like the kingdoms that, that we see all the time. There's, yeah. Just about the narrow way. Yeah. We're talking about Jesus is, is the way. He's the only way. And the scriptures say, you know, narrow is the path to life and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times... When we're talking about the narrow way, we oh, I think a lot of believers believe that once they get born again, they're still in the narrow way, <laughs> and they're actually not. Right. Because what happens is when you receive Jesus and that relationship, then you have things like when David spoke, he said, he's led me to a wide place, right. an open place, a place of safety, a place of joy because he delights in me. 
And that's all about relationship, too, with the Father. I mean, it's like, yeah, Jesus is the way, but the life he wants to give us is abundant until it overflows. And right. it's all based in relationship. And he doesn't want to remove any of that from us right. because he loves us. And so, yes, narrow is the way, but when you're in the way, your life is abundant. Well, and it goes back to the painting the picture thing. For whatever reason, that was the picture that was painted for me, that this narrow way was, um, was, was limited Right? I mean, it was just the, the picture was painted incorrectly for me. That wasn't what it was talking about. It was a scripture taken out of context, really, is what it was. Yes. To, for the picture, it's like Dorothy stepping out of the cabin when she landed in Oz. Yeah. <laughs> Everything before that was black and white. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or even Narnia. <laughs> if you want to go that far, look at Narnia. <laughs> Narnia, too. Uh, yes. Yeah, open in, the, open in the cabinet. That's right. It is limitless and yeah. wonderful. So, one thing I, I want to give you a real quick story that that just happened to me this past week. <clears throat> and I'm going to try not to get into too much detail because there's some personal stuff that, you know, it's not going to make a difference. But I want to get the point across. God is not, God our Father is not passive about how he loves us. He is very aggressive. He is relentless in his pursuit for you to know who he is and for him to know you in a deep way. Um, I was in a bad place this past week. At one point, I was legitimately ready to throw my hands up and just give up on everything. I mean, not, not to say I was, I was, I was going to do it, but it was real, I was real close. Like, I was just in a really dark place. I'd found myself focused on something, one thing, and I'd forgotten everything else. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was there last week. And I, I was, you know, Tracy knew some, and, and some of you guys that I talked to knew some, but not probably to the extent that I was really feeling it. And I was just in a real, real, real dark place. And it's amazing. I just preached on, you know, it's amazing that I just preached on this three weeks ago. And then I find myself, that how quickly I can find myself in that position. I say that to say this. We, we were in a hotel, I guess it was Saturday, um, for the volleyball tournament. And we, had, we decided just to spend the whole weekend over there. One of my trying to escape, you know, try to get away, try to like reset or whatever. So we're just going to go and just take a little mini vacation over there and just get away for a minute and try to see things, but nothing, nothing was really fixing it, obviously, because I wasn't looking at Christ, but for me, I was trying to fix things and trying to work things out, and I was just found myself in a real bad way. All, all that, and, and uh, I get a call from a friend of mine who I know very well, and we talk, most of the time we talk very rigid about theology. He, he'll shoot me a question, you've probably heard me talk about him here several times, and we'll go back and forth, and we debate, and we get pretty heated sometimes, and, uh, and he's very black and white, like he's not a very emotional person, and we've gotten into talks about scripture and what this looks like and what this doesn't look like, and we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, and we don't agree on a lot of things, um, but he's still a good, very good friend of mine, but I, I have to paint that picture so you know who he is. He doesn't like, he doesn't really call a lot to, to talk about like emotional things, we just, we're, we're more rigid in our conversations, does that make sense? Well, um, he called me out of the blue. He rarely calls me. Usually we just text. He called me out of the blue, and I was like, this is weird. I need to answer him. Maybe he's in trouble or something, you know? So I answered the phone, and I picked up the phone, and he said, well, he started off with, hey, uh, just wanted to tell you that you're awesome. And that is not what he said. That's like, I legitimately took my phone away. I was like, what? What does that even mean? Who, are you messing with me? You know, what, what are you talking about? And he proceeded to encourage me, which is completely out of character. Not that he's not an encouraging person, but it's just, does this make sense? It was, I was, it caught me off guard and he began to just unload like all this encouragement on me. And I was like, 
whoa, I don't know what to do with all this. This is odd, you know. And I say that because many of you do that often, and I appreciate it. But for some reason, well, not for some reason, I know why. God needed him to do it because it caught me off guard. If you'd have said it, I'd have been like, thank you, that's so nice, you know. I know that you care for me and I know that you love me. But he did it in a weird way so that it would catch my attention. And what it did is it drew me from what, was, what I was so caught up in back to Christ. It said, what, what that event told me was, Justin, from God, Justin, I love you so much that I'm going to find an interesting way to get back to you so that you, you see that I care. I know you so well that you know this is odd that he would call you. And listen, I had lunch with him a couple days after that, and I told him how odd that was, and he said, yeah, it was odd to me too. He said, <laughs> he said I was real awkward. He said, and I remember, he said, I was driving down the road, and he said, and like I said, the terminology is a little different because he comes from a little bit different background, and so I'm a little more fluid with the way that, you know, the Holy Spirit leads to do things, and he's not that, he's real rigid. And so he said, I don't know what it was. I was like, well, I know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit. He's like, yeah, I guess it was. He said, I didn't want to do it. He said, uh, he said, I thought to myself, Justin's probably joking around because he had no idea that I was going through this. That's another thing. He had no clue, none at all. And he said, he said, legitimately, he said, Justin's probably goofing off, like making fun of somebody or doing something <laughs> stupid or, you know, messing with the Jeep or whatever. And he's like, I'm not calling him. I'm not calling him. He said, but it just kept pressing, kept pressing. And he said, so I just picked up the phone and called you. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. That's what a father does. Amen. And he does that for you. It's not just me. He's, you, he does that for you. If you'll just see it for what it is. And what that did was it brought my attention off of how I felt like I was a failure and all these things. Whatever dark place that I'd found myself in, it brought me back to putting Christ in the center and saying, okay, what does this look like in light of Christ? What does this look like? And, and it, everything began to click and, and come together and be much more clear to me because I put things in their proper perspective. And it just took a phone call. And for him to be obedient to the Holy Spirit when he didn't even want to call. <laughs> That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares. That's, That's the abundant life that he gives us. It's not this... He's not some cosmic killjoy with this narrow way that you're not going to be able to enjoy. No, he says, I give you abundant life. What, what are the results of this life? Peace, joy, kindness, righteousness. All these things are fruits of what? The Spirit of God and you together. The picture that was painted in Christ is the prototype. That, that And one of the questions we had, and I love the youth because they are so genuine with their questions. And one of them was like, well, what? What about Jews? Do Jews go to heaven? And I was like, well, if they believe in Jesus, they do. <laughs> and Which was a good question. I was like, because, you know, rightfully so, they were upset because they were God's chosen people, and then we got, we got grafted in. But, yeah, it, it's, it's still the narrow way. It's still Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, any, anybody. There's, there's no. And then I'm, I'm going to get off on another tangent. But uh, one thing that we have to realize is, Another picture that was painted was, does blank go to heaven? We've got to get our, we've got a metanoia. We've got to repent from that way of thinking. Our jobs are not just to get people to heaven. Our jobs are to represent the Father and, and place heaven in people. In other words, your job as a Christian is not to like catapult people out of this place. Your job as a Christian is, you, you were given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Your job as a Christian is to reconcile God to people because that's Jesus' heart and that's God's heart. So when you do that, that's the kingdom coming to earth. 
not the other way around. Do you get to go be with him forever in heaven? Yes. What a bonus that is that comes along with it. But that's not the primary Christian's goal. It wasn't Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was to reconcile the Father to you. And he did it. And he did it. He did it. It's done. Now you get to give the good news. Yay. What a great narrow way. (laughs) You get to give good news to everybody that you come and cut. You can shout it from the rooftops. God is good and he loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. This is good. This is not scary. This is not tricky. We talked about a few weeks ago, we've made this complicated. And Paul was afraid that we would mess up the simplicity of Christ. Don't mess it up. Don't overcomplicate it. It's simple. All right, stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. Uh, Father, Daddy, (laughs) Abba, we pray as sons and daughters, not as orphans. We pray as, um, as people who trust you and know you. We pray as people who who know how good you are. Lord, that you, you don't just say things from a distance, but you, you are close to us and you speak to us step by step every day. You lead us. Your Holy Spirit isn't just there to, to, to smack us on the hand when we do something wrong, but you're also there to lead us into the good things. You're there to lead us to, to help others and to bless them and to be there for them. You're there to, to guide us into your ways because your will is better than ours and they fit. Your, your will fits us. Our ways do not. That's why we, we regret and, and we're frustrated and we feel all the shame and guilt when we try to shortcut your Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us. We need you to lead us. So, Father, as we, as we leave this place, Lord, you, I'm thankful that you go with us from, from parenting to work to school to just, to just life. You have not left us alone. You said you will never leave us or forsake us, and we hold on to that. You're what keep us grounded, but you're also what keep us wide-eyed because of the amazing things that you do in our lives and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.